Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This week we face the elephant in the room for many family farmers. It often isn't discussed as early as it should be because the older generation are still going and it can be difficult to have those discussions with family members um, when it is homes and businesses that are potentially being split up or that need to be talked about. And if you thought about joining young farmers but don't know where to go, don't know what to do, maybe you're feeling a bit nervous about it, local clubs are opening their doors to welcome new members this month. It's a night where there will be lots of people in the same boat. You know, they're new, they haven't been before, they're just testing the water. And our existing club team will put on some fun activities, welcome new people, see if, you, you know, if they like it and, um, and, and tell them what being a Young Farmer member in that club is all about. Plus, we'll look back at Lincolnshire Day at the showground, get the crop, livestock and grain market reports and Sean's here with some important and timely agronomy advice. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Good and bad news to start this week. More bird flu cases have been reported in Norfolk and Suffolk and the area plus Essex has been ordered into an avian influenza protection zone. But congratulations to everybody involved in the Lincolnshire Ladies Tractor Run, which took place back in July, and to those who donated, raising £11,540 for Cancer Research UK. Brilliant. And more congratulations to another Lincolnshire champion, British free-range egg producer of the year, Harmston young farmer Ivory Arden. Ivory, brilliant. Well done. What did you have to do to be egg producer of the year? We had the judges come around our farms and they were just looking to see what standards they are at, like with cleanliness and what kinds of other things we've got on the farm, such as we've got renewables um, and just generally what we're trying to do to achieve high standard, high welfare quality eggs. Okay, and you've got how many birds on the farm? So we've got 128,000, but they're all bred like they're on different sites. They're not all in one shed. (laughs) And is this a family business, Ivory? Uh, Yeah, it's a family business. Basically, we started seven years ago with the free-range chickens. We were originally arable farmers, and it was a way to bring me into the farm because poultry have always been a passion of mine. So, yeah, it was kind of a new venture when I turned 18 to kind of get into the farm. So we've been doing it nearly eight years now. Really enjoy it. And and clearly successfully. How have you found business? Uh, It's... Difficult at the moment, especially in the Mm. poultry industry, with all the price increases like everybody, but also the egg price isn't really following. And obviously bird flu is tricky at the moment, but you've just got to keep pushing through and hopefully a light will come at the end of the tunnel, really. Absolutely. Well, look, Ivory, congratulations on your award, Egg Producer of the Year. (laughs) No, thank you very much. It was Lincolnshire Day last weekend, but not at Lincolnshire Showground. They had Lincolnshire Two Days. I called in for a visit and had a chat with Agricultural Society Education Manager Rosie Crust. Rosie, what's been going on? So today we've got um, about 400 children who've come to the showground to celebrate Lincolnshire Day. We have lots of different exhibitors who are providing hands-on interactive activities 
all about what's great about our county. So we've got sausage making, cheese making, making Lincolnshire flag pizzas with British produce. We've got Nunny's Farm, there's sports. There's a whole array of activities for the children to enjoy and get hands on and have lots of fun. So it's not just about farming and food production, but that's obviously a big part of it. How do you get them to understand how their food's produced? So I think by providing these activities and enrichment opportunities where we can talk about where food comes from, with the ladies in pigs, they're talking about the whole farming story, then obviously making the sausages. So it's just talking to the children and the teachers about where the food comes from in Lincolnshire. And it's so important, isn't it, that the children understand that food doesn't just come shrink-wrapped from the supermarket. Absolutely. It's amazing how many people think milk comes from the supermarkets. And we've got Coat Hill here making cheese, which is talking about her dairy farm and how they milk the cows every day. Because lots of children won't have ever had the experience of being on a dairy farm or making cheese or even hearing about it. So it's just opening their eyes and giving them the experiences. And there's so much to celebrate about what goes on in Lincolnshire, but it's not just food, is it? No, so we've got the REF here making rockets and then launching them with the children. We've got the chalk streams with pond dipping, the flower producers where they're making lovely containers. Yesterday we had floristry, we've got recycling, so a whole array of things all to do with Lincolnshire. Of course, that's not it as far as the uh, Agricultural Society is concerned for the education of children going forward. We've got all sorts of things coming up. I know this not, we're not in the point yet where we can talk about them in yeah. detail, but uh, what's coming up soon? Yes, yeah, so we're just at the moment finalising the Schools Challenge for the Lincolnshire Show. Um, so that's launching, going out to schools just before half term. We've got a careers fair in February. We've got breakfast week in January. There's loads of things that are in the pipeline um, coming up, so keep a watch out on the Showground website. All right, Rosie, brilliant as ever. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you. Are you a young person in farming? Have you thought about joining your local Young Farmers Club but don't know where to go, don't know what to do, don't know what's involved? Maybe you're a little bit nervous about it. Several Lincolnshire Young Farmers Clubs are holding new members evenings this month. Kate Knight is the Strategic Development Manager for Lincolnshire. Good morning, Kate. Morning. Busy week or busy month for Lincolnshire Young Farmers with all these uh, new members nights. It is a busy month. So we've got um, the hashtag New Members Month in October where we're welcoming lots of new members um, as well as our returning members. And in the middle of all that is National Young Farmer Week as well on the 17th to the 21st of October. So, yes, very busy. Now, we'll talk about some specific New Members Nights that are going on this week. But just give us 30 seconds on what does Young Farmers Club do and what are the benefits of getting involved? Well, Young Farmers Clubs meet across the county, so we've got 16 clubs, and uh, they meet weekly. It's a rural youth organisation, so for young people aged between 10 and 28, lots of fun, loads of learning, lots of opportunities for achievement, uh, skills, meeting new friends, and just mostly having lots and lots of fun. Now, some people might think of Young Farmers think, yes, I'd like to join that. I'm not too sure what to do, where my local club is. Maybe I'm a little bit nervous about walking into a group of strangers. Hence the New Members' Night. So what have we got going on this week? Absolutely. New Members' Nights are a great night for going along if you're not sure, taking some friends if you want to. But it's a night where there will be lots of people in the same boat you know they're new they haven't been before they're just testing the water and our existing club team will put on some fun activities welcome new people see if you you know if they like it and um, and and tell them what being a young farmer member in that club is all about 
this week coming, we've got North Holland Young Farmers on Monday night, Alford Young Farmers on Wednesday night, and Spalding Young Farmers also on Wednesday night. Actually, with it being New Members Month, if somebody misses a New Members Night, don't worry, all the nights in, in October are geared for welcoming new phases, when of course... As you know, you don't have to be a farmer or, or anything like that, but just interested in the countryside, and we welcome members all the year round. It's just October is specifically for new people coming through the door. All right, Kate, where can we go for more information and details and times and dates and stuff like that? Find us on all social media platforms. Just put in a search, Links Young Farmers, and we've also got a website with all the Young Farmer New Member Night details on there, linksyfc.org.uk. Get yourself along and join in. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Time to head to the fields. Sean Sparling's here with the latest crop report and all things agronomy for a mild and damp early October. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. 15 mil of rain for me this week. Warmer again as well, up into the high teens, 18s, 19s most days. So a perfect trigger, really, to get this blackgrass seed germinating in the soil, which it now should, not just in the stale seed beds, but also in anything you've already drilled. Very low dormancy in the blackgrass population this year, thanks to the hot summer. So clearly the biggest limiting factor has been water, because we haven't seen blackgrass so far. It's been very dry, really, for the last six weeks. And with this 15 mil or so over the last 10 days, barely even wetting the top of the seed beds almost unnoticeable after three or four does let, let alone getting down into the profile caution still urged regarding drilling these bad black grass fields Yes, I know it's been damp. Yes, that's what the blackgrass needed to get it set off. But you've got to give it time to germinate, come through, glyphosate it off, and then think about drilling. Now, if you can't wait any longer because your neighbour's already drilled all his bad blackgrass land and you don't want to be left behind, then, for goodness sake, make sure you get your preems on within 48 hours of drilling so that at least they stand a chance of doing some good. Remember things like flufenoset, which is in Liberator and Crystal, that needs to soak into the top of the profile where it inhibits the roots of the blackgrass while they germinate within that band. Synmethylin does a similar thing too. DFF and Aclonifen, they pretty much sit on the soil surface. But all of these things need moisture to work. So another reason why drilling wheat into those dry seed beds a fortnight ago may well have been good for the drill and for getting on. But because you wanted that pre-em on within 48 hours, if the seed beds were bone dry, in order for it to perform as well as it can and as well as it needed to, we're going too early, it needed some moisture in the top of that seed bed to soak in. A dry soil surface would have knocked percentages off the efficacy and the longevity of those preems. Now, having said that, you will still have had far better blackgrass control by applying these chemicals in suboptimal dry conditions than by not going, by drilling it and then waiting for moisture to come seven, ten days later. So the best way to have got around all of that was to delay now that the ground started to moisten up and we start to get the benefit of these stale seedbeds. Of course, as we know, waiting was not an option on some farms. Now, just as important as the products and the timing of the drilling is the application of the product itself. So 50 centimetre boom height, medium fine quality spray, 200 litres of water and a 12 kilometre maximum forward speed. That's going to give you the best chance of success along with your nozzle choice. And the application is just as important as the product itself. So you need to optimise all of that too. Now, the colder, windier, wetter weather we've seen has really reduced the cabbage stem flea beetle activity out here. But some of these smaller, slower, later drilled, perhaps redrilled 
crops have been absolutely hammered in some cases. And with these cooling soils and the autumnal conditions, these plants are really struggling to grow away from the damage. But as we keep stressing, if you've sprayed one spray of pyrethroid and it hasn't stopped them, it's unlikely that a second or a third will. But also, don't forget about rape winter stem weevil, which is now appearing in fields. They lay their eggs on the tops of the leaf petiole, and as those eggs hatch, the larvae burrow down that petiole and into the main stem, and they do similar damage to cabbage stem flea beetle. Now, rape winter stem weevil is much more widespread today than it was even five years ago. It used to be a fairly localised pest, and pyrethroids, which are applied from the late part of September into about the 20th to the 25th of October, you know, they may reduce adult numbers, although that is, of course, we have to assume that the adults aren't resistant in order for them to work, and that's something that nobody seems to know about the rape winter stem weevil population. So, obviously, by reducing the adult population, you reduce the larvae numbers by default, but there are no thresholds to work with with rape winter stem weevil, so really you have to rely on recent history. In autumn 2019, for example, that bad year for cabbage stem flea beetle, there was an awful lot of rape winter stem weevil larvae in the spring, which was being misidentified as cabbage stem flea beetle. So again, speak to your agronomist. And slugs still all over the place in oilseed rape and other crops as well, so keep your guard up. We don't see the slimy little corpses after ferrous phosphate like we used to do with metaldehyde. They go away and they die underground, so regular checks are absolutely crucial. Way too warm for thinking about propizomide yet on the oilseed rape, but there is still time for clethodim. You can apply that up until the 31st of October. Best practice is by the 15th of October. The late applications, by the way, can be more damaging to the crop. So if you go after seven or eight leaves, you can damage the crop quite severely. So your optimum really is somewhere between the four-leaf stage of the crop and the seven-leaf stage of the crop, but before the 31st of October. And you need to be 10 days clear if you're following any other treatments and 14 days clear if you're putting it on before any other herbicide treatment. Winter barley, up in rows along with some of my wheats. Again, eyes open for slugs, but also for aphids. Plenty about, according to Rothamsted. And as a rule of thumb, 170 growing day degrees from emergence is the trigger. If you find aphids at threshold, then it's possible that the bird cherry oat aphids, which are the main vectors and seem to be out there in numbers, they could be an issue. So do speak to your advisor about that. There is a great app, by the way, free to download called BYDV Assist from Syngenta. Put in the drilling date, you put the emergence date in and the location of the field and that'll do all the calculations on growing day degrees for you. But do spray only and if there are aphids there from an IPM point of view. So weeds rapidly emerging now, grass and broadleaf weeds in these stale seed beds. With the low dormancy in the blackgrass seed this year, it's the moisture we've just had and the moving of these soils which is going to bring this blackgrass on over the next seven days or so. So I just hope you haven't already drilled all your bad blackgrass fields yet. It's a case of on your marks, get set. Actually, I went a week ago. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as ever, Sean. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Let's talk about one of those subjects that no one wants to face up to. We leave it until the last minute or even worse, when it's too late. Kath Crowther, CLA Regional Director. Good morning. Morning, Steve. Okay, let's face up to it then. Succession planning is what we're talking about. Most of us think of this as handing over the house and whatever money you might have. But of course, with a farm, you're not just handing over the house to the next generation. It's the business as well, isn't it? It's vital that that keeps going. In family farms, you do tend to find that the older generation are still very actively involved 
right until the end. My grandfather sadly passed away last week. He was 90 and until fairly recently, he was still out on the farm until 10 o'clock at night. And so it often isn't discussed as early as it should be because the older generation are still going and it can be difficult to have those discussions with family members um, when it is homes and businesses that are potentially being split up or that need to be talked about. And of course, there are all sorts of allowances. There's rules and regulations around the transfer of a farm, much more complicated than just uh, the family home, isn't it? Very, very complex. You know, the tax and legal issues are really important to consider. And you're planning a series of events around the country to talk about this. What kind of subjects will you cover? Legal and tax advice, case studies. We will be providing information on how to ensure you've got an up-to-date will, power of attorneys, bringing in experts, and there will be an opportunity to talk to advisors after the event so that people can really just start thinking about how they considered succession planning. Because it's so important, isn't it, not just to start the succession planning earlier than you might think it is, but to get it in writing to avoid those family disputes after somebody's died. Those documents are really, really important. So we have a CLA handbook that's available on the website and that provides practical advice on what need you need to be considering, the business structures, the relevant tax implications and considerations, the different documents that are required. That handbook also covers trust um, and how you need to consider the, the needs and goals of all different generations that are involved with the business. Because the last thing you really want to be doing is having family disputes at what is a dreadfully emotional time anyway. Yeah, um, and sadly that does happen all too often. So planning ahead is really, really important. Um, You know, taking advice at the appropriate time. And that's why the CLA provides personal succession advice free of charge to our members. Kath, where can we go for more information about these succession roadshows? And are they just open to CLA members? So on the CLA website, you go to the events pages and the various succession roadshows are up there. Um, we have one in Buckminster, we have one just off the A1 at Darrington, and we've got them throughout the country. They're £25 for CLA members, £40 for non-members, everyone is welcome. But for that price, it's only one family member that pays for a ticket. Um, other family members can come along free of charge. So go onto the website and look at the guidance notes that are on the advice section of the CLA website free of charge and call the office for personal succession advice free of charge to members. Lovely. Thank you, Kath. We should say these um, roadshows are sponsored by Irwin Mitchell. Give them due credit for that. Kath Crowther from the CLA, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, Steve. A reminder, for more information, visit cla.org.uk and click on events. Time to see how the markets have performed this week. Grain in a moment. First livestock with Louth Livestock Markets auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Morning, Oliver. Good morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth, starting with the prime cattle, which topped for JC Scolia Bormba with steers at 271 pence per kilo and grossed £1,568. Heifers top at 260 pence per kilo and grossed £1,431 from the same home. 
That wraps the cattle up and moving on to the sheep, starting with lambs, which SQQ at 244.77 pence per kilo, and all in average 243.11 pence per kilo. Top for J Fussies and Sons of Toughnecks Newton at £123 per head, while Mark Smith of Theddlethorpe top at 275 pence per kilo. On to the cool ewes with an all-in average of £106.38 to top for FW Robertson Sons of Rooton at £162. That wraps Monday sale up. Friday the 7th saw our first special show and sale of suckle cows and store cattle, kindly judged by Mr James Loveday of Norfolk, who found his champion in the single under 15-month-old store beast with a named sired Aberdeen Angus from FW Robinson and Sons. This sold away to the day tie of £1140. The steers today all in average £923.73 and top for WG Hall and Son at £1495 for Angus's while the heifers all in average £848 and top for PK Farms at £1450. Huge thank you to everyone that's been and supported this week. Tomorrow we've got a cow and calf dispersal on behalf of Messrs Motley of Covenham with all scanning details available at the time of sale. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Marketing. Thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with this week's Grain Market Update, Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. Prices rallied as Russia announced referendums for four regions of the Ukraine, which, to nobody's surprise, were voted through at 90% plus in favour. At the same time, Putin put the use of nuclear weapons back on the table and he now sees any incursions to the newly annexed regions as an attack on the Russian territory. Ukraine have liberated some of the occupied territories as they launch their counter-offensive, which will put Putin's resolve and potentially provoke reality strikes. There are now serious doubts that the Grain Corridor will extend beyond the initial 120-day period, which expires on the 22nd of November. This will make ship owners wary of entering the corridor for fear of getting trapped for an indefinite period or caught in an escalation of hostilities, putting both vessels and crew at risk. If the corridor is closed, this will stem the flow of grain from the Ukrainian ports and potentially impact the pace of Russian exports too. Fresh talks are scheduled to begin between the UN and Russia to discuss the export corridor, although it is difficult to see what Russia gained from extending the agreement. There are also concerns being raised regarding Turkey's role as they appear to be the recipient of a large volume of grain via the corridor, whilst it is also reported that there is fresh evidence of stolen Ukrainian grain leaving via the Bosporus, which is controlled by Turkey. UK wheat remains competitively priced for the export to the EU, particularly to Spain, Portugal, Ireland and Holland. Inquiries for Handy and Panamax vessels to non-EU destinations have also been noted. The UK balance sheet largely hinges on how much the two ethanol plants consume, with reports of reduced capacities and potential closures in the new year doing the rounds due to costs of running the plants. Domestic demand is concentrated in the nearby positions with consumers reluctant to take forward cover. Producers have sold a good percentage to facilitate movement and cash flow needs and are relaxed sellers unless prices move higher. So looking at barley this week, a few days last week of weak sterling gave an artificial potential lift in the value of malting barley exports. The pound exchange rate to the euro weakened from 87 pence to 90 pence. Unfortunately, there were no export buyers in the euro to be found. 
This was not surprising, as currently we could not change the fundamental position of the UK having an exportable surplus of 700,000 metric tonnes of good malting barley. And, of course, the few European malsters who still wanted to buy were still able to buy Danish barley, which is already cheaper. And buying in euros instead of sterling meant it was cheaper still. Sterling has reverted back to circa 87 pence, but currency change alone has knocked £10 a tonne off the theoretical export price. Oil seed rape, Batif rape seed had seen a significant bounce, closing higher for six days in a row. Prices have held despite the stronger sterling, with general veg oil strength and good demand helping to drive the market. Wednesday saw an end to the six-day rally, closing €14.75 down to profit-taking and little support from outside markets. In an oil seeds report, strategy grains have raised this year's European forecast from 19.15 million to 19.46 million. The consultancy cited better-than-expected harvest, with the production revised higher in Germany, France and Poland. They explained how this would add to the already large world supplies and would eventually weigh on prices. On that note, looking at prices this week, feed wheat for November 268 to 275, February 270 to 278, May 275 to 281, November 23 new crop 256 to 266. Milling wheat premiums for full spec are currently 45 to 50 pounds. Feed barley for November 240 to 248, February 242 to 250, and May 245 to 253. Malting barley premiums are circa £30. And lastly, oilseed rape October 521 to 526, November 527 to 532, and November 23 new crop oilseed rape 535 to £540. Many thanks as ever, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. High pressure for most of this week, keeping things more settled and mostly dry after tonight. Winds from the south today in the upper teens MPH. Some rain forecast overnight, otherwise dry with highs of 16 Celsius today. A couple of degrees cooler tomorrow with the wind veering round to the west and staying in the mid-teens MPH. Dry and sunny with a high of 14 Celsius. Midweek sees the wind ease back into single figures from the southwest, mostly dry and cloudy with highs in the low teens. Then we end the week with some rain and the wind picking up strongly from Friday, gusting up to nearly 50 miles per hour. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we look at some prototype new kit for crop farmers and hear about farmer time. What's that? Join me next Sunday from 7 on Lynx FM or whenever on Smart Speaker or the Farming Programme podcast. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.